Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Graves, former France hooker, Benjamin Kayser, and ex-Scotland back row, Johnny BT. How's your week been, guys? Straight into it there, no warm-up. How's your week? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, it's the last week of school, so I've got a big, you know, I've got a heavy heart for all the parents out there who are going to be thrown into the mist of Christmas time coming, the excitement, the, obviously the last-minute gifts with shops being closed. The lack of money because because jobs have been uh, chucked in the bin, and kids kids at home. So I've got a big full heart of compassion and empathy for all these people, including myself, number one, obviously. <laughs> but but uh, just on that, Benji, like be honest, both of you, have either of you done any Christmas shopping yet? And who does the Christmas shopping? I've done nothing. <laughs> I've done nothing. Yeah. Not one, but I've done absolutely nothing. And for for your family, Benji, does Andrea buy everything for your parents yeah. and say yeah. absolutely? <laughs> you've made you've made me feel a lot better. You're making me feel <laughs> a lot better. Um, yeah, Johnny, how's your week? I really relaxed. I wasn't working the final weekend, um, so I actually got to sit and watch England France, which I'm sure we'll get onto with about six beers, shouting at my TV, um, and absolutely loved it. So it's been really relaxed. Little fella sleeping the whole way through the night already, which is great. Absolutely not. Good lad. Um, so no, mate, just carnage. Looking forward to Christmas, winding down. Johnny mentioned he was watching with beers. No beers for you, Benji, but what did you make of it at Twickenham? Uh, so listen, the general gist, what I made of it is that it was, a, it was an incredible day of rugby. Now, there was 2,000 fans, which is not 80 or 90,000 that Twickenham can have. But it's still better than nothing. It's still showing the end of the, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. And I thought it was mission impossible for this young team. I knew they were not going to get trashed. And I was just getting a little bit more pissed off about the, the lack of respect, basically, of, of, of the press. Because they can say that it's a rotated team, but they don't need to call it a farce. That's just crossing the line. You know, it's really going that too far. And at the end, I saw an incredible game. I saw some fantastic... Uh, young players who get absolutely everything they had. I saw quite a quite a boring England team, to be fair. They were disappointed. That obviously, they did not play to their to their full strength. And all I all I wanted to be a happy finish was Eddie Jones to come out and to be like, "Fair play. Those youngsters really proved the point. They have a big heart. They almost beat us. They could have. They should have beaten us. We'll, we'll you know upwards. You know we'll, we'll move on. We'll learn. But that guy comes out and he's like, "Ah, mate." 
two, three percent off our performance. That's the only reason why it took us so long to win. And then he goes on about saying, actually, we got data on those guys. And uh, the second team actually ends up being as good as the first team. So what is he on about? Like, it's, it's super disrespectful. So the same team that you're calling the C team, rotation, the farce, whatever, they didn't call many fires, did they, in the, in, in the England camp? They didn't say anything. And then, basically, the, a mistake was made. It happens. I don't think it was in, intentional. I just think it was a mistake. But to make it a little bit better, you just admit it. You know, there was a mistake. We could have lost. Fair play to them. Just, like, pump those. Reward heart. Reward passion. Reward commitment. And... And he comes up and he's like miserable and two, three percent off our performance. That's why it took us a long time to win. I was like, that's that's small. That's disappointing. So that really left a bitter taste in my mouth. Otherwise, otherwise, it was a great day. I was super proud of the boys. I was super proud of the effort. It was actually a really good game to watch. Not incredible game, but a good game to watch. I don't think that's ever going to come from Eddie, though. And notoriously, it's never going to come from English press. But my gut feel on watching it, I had a real feel that everybody else that's watching the game around the world will be pumped and will be positive and will be energetic and yeah. will be excited for French rugby. Just that Eddie in that moment, because he's Eddie, um, wasn't. But I think for everyone else that was watching it, what they saw was pretty spectacular um, in loads of different ways. Um, yes, absolutely written off as a farce, but written off by a far, as a farce. And then even like the, the body language and the attitude of some of the players, the first 10 minutes, like Ellis Genge, like winding people up and get, I was just like, I just hope these French boys stand up and smash them. And they absolutely did from the first minute to the end. And look, I think what we also saw was a certain level of maturity, even though it was a really young side. England have got this kick game, kick percentage, minimal risk. We will kick you to death. We'll bore you. France were like, well, we can do it too, lads. Like they just pinged everything back and, and shoved it back on England. The only thing England had was contestable kicks, which they do really, really well. But then you look at Villiers, Brice Dulin, the, the games that those boys had, they were phenomenal. Um, so it was absolutely outstanding to watch, even though it was a very, very specific type of game. We're going to keep the ball infield. We're going to kick it to death. Nobody's kicking out for lineouts. Quite strategic. But five years ago, France would have imploded mentally. They'd have tried to run something back when they shouldn't have, conceded a penalty, and the game would have been over after 30 minutes. We didn't see that. And just before we move off of this France team, obviously Eddie might not have acknowledged it, but it was a France second team. Some people were calling it a third or a fourth team. Just shows the strength and depth that they have. But of that team, how many do you think could be in the starting side come the Six Nations? Is there a Villiers, a Wauquie, a Jalonge? Like, who is going to be in the starting team, do you think? I, I don't think that they're going to go for a mass um, upheaval. But I think what it shows is they have a strength of depth. That if there's any injuries, they've got guys that can slot in and it doesn't change the quality of their side. Um, Wauquie can come in and do a job. McAloo was off the bench. He was disappointing in, in his, his start the week before. But like again, they need more game time. They need 20, 30, 40 minutes off the bench. And then if there's injuries, they're, they're starters. There's, there's no doubt that these guys are more than capable. Um, and it doesn't detract anything away from the quality of the team. As opposed to anybody really forcing their way into start ahead of. Um, I think Fabian Galtier now knows he's got a bucket load of young kids that can do an outstanding job at that level. Yeah, I think, I think there's a few spots that were won on the bench. I think between Voki, who can be so, he can cover every position. Gelonche, who played really well. Makalu still proved that as an impact player, he's pretty phenomenal um, and, and can cover all positions. So they scored yeah. some points. I think Gabin Villiers will be in the rotation. Never forget, Damien Penou has not been playing for six months or something. Yeah. And he is a freak of nature whenever he gets <laughs> going. 
So, so you, you just don't know how good he can be. I think actually the one who might have scored the most points might be Brice Dulin, just yeah, because Bouti has been fantastic for Montpellier and he's been, he's been a great sort of story. But remember, and, and it's funny because they're both lefties if I don't get it wrong. Brice Dulin has got a hell of a kick on him. He doesn't kick to post and stuff, but he can kick a long distance. He's got a good 50, 60 meter clearance kick a bit, what Bouti has got. And at the moment in attack, he offers more. So I think I think he might have scored some serious points, uh, and the others will be more within the rotation. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Paul Willemsen needs to step up his game. He had one incredible game against Wales in Wales in March 2020. Since then, he's been a little bit um, not off, but 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 just not the same level. And Romain Tao has been incredibly good, I think. So that big solid five could be Tao, and then Willemsen will not be on the bench. And on the bench, Pesanti, Gerasi are scoring some serious points because they're very, very good. So um, with, with Bernard Leroux, I think at the moment, having the number four jersey for a while. So um, no, no, I, th- I think the bench is, 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 has scored some points. But how comfortable is it? Just to say that now, listen, if we drop one, then we know we've got a little bit of that. They need to build on that. They wanted the 15. They had it in a couple of months. They wanted 23. They had it basically after the Ireland game. Now they've got 35. And that is incredible. In a year's time, that is an absolute blessing. Um, and, and, and we were going to obviously get the rewards later. But this, this was a phenomenal stepping stone into the future success, I believe. Sustainable future success, if you know what I mean. And you mentioned the refereeing and Andrew Brace, Benji. He's obviously been withdrawn from Toulouse's game against Exeter next weekend. So, I mean, Johnny, you're in France. Benji, you were at the game. Has he come in for a lot of flack in, in France? I know he missed the knock-on, but I mean, he didn't have that bad a game, did he? I think he got some abuse from a, a BK1984 on, on social media. <laughs> BK Tunbridge Wells 1984. I don't know who that is. Whatever we joke about abuse is out of order okay yeah. you, you you can be angry pissed off whatever referees are human beings number one is respect whatever you th- feel believe uh see how express it at your local pub express it with your mates on a sunday if you want but shut your mouth when it's about social media and personal threats and whatever that's completely out of order yeah crossover line especially like his careers now so that, that guy's now been withdrawn from refing in the european top competition in france because of some bell end on twitter like Come on. Yeah, I'm sure if you rewind the game, you will find 10 decisions that were unfair against England and that he cocked up because it's imp- rugby, yeah, rugby is very complicated. But, but the crucial penalty to give the penalty to England to allow them to go five meters out to then do the driving mall to equal at the 78th minute or something. So that's crucial. That is a bloody massive mistake. There's a, there's a one meter forward uh, pass, well, not forward pass, but knock on in the ruck by the, the ball carrier. Yeah. And he blows a penalty against Tolofua. The touch judge is literally standing five meters away from that. Andrew Brace has got nothing to do with it for that one. And then that's his touch, I think, that, that cocked it up. Secondly, at the end of the game, before they get the penalty to actually win it, you remember on that kickoff, there's, there's Sekou Makalu, who they say does a knock on on that, on that on, yeah, on, it wasn't on a kickoff knock-on. when he gets it. Even I could not see it. I'd have no clue. So it's easy to actually rewind, press pause. Why did he not ask for a video refereeing? Such a crucial call. Such a massive call in a massive game in extra time. Take a second to actually have a look at it. They constantly look at it when, when it's not useful. And when you can finally use it, they don't. But they're not seeking a touch charge as well within his rights to stick a flag out and change the course 100%. of the game. That's why he's there. So yeah. 
as is a TMO. So we've all watched it in our, like I was back home, I had five beers deep and for me it was clear as day, he didn't touch the ball, there was no knock on. So the TMO, <laughs> the TMO's role, you stop the game, either you're in his ear, you get into him and say, look, that's not a knock on because that's just such a crucial part of the game that changed the course and the result of the game, obviously, um, and harsh against McAlew, but I think everyone at home saw it, but you know, that's what TMOs are for. Step in, right decision, game on. If World Rugby are listening, I don't think the advice of have five beers when you're a TMO is, is, is good advice, Johnny. <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, let's get our guest on now. Uh, he is an Englishman. He won his last cap for England against France at Twickenham, uh, but he's gone on to have a stellar career over in France in the top 14. Nick Abendon enjoys us. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Um, just, yeah, here in uh, my wife's office, she's commandeered and uh, nice little glass of red with me. Good to oh, see, man. see some old faces there and, uh, and yeah, looking forward to the catch-up. Very nice. And where is the office? Because you left Claremont at the end of last season, moved to Van. So are you in Van? Uh, I'm in Van at the moment, yeah, in the, in the west west uh south yeah west wing of the uh, don't look at a map mate come on that's bad <laughs> that's bad that is bad you're only getting paid by them you know you should know where you are yeah so i'm uh, i'm in van at the moment and uh, yeah i gotta say i'm loving it yeah how have you settled in mate it's it's been it's been tough but it's it's got to a point now where we're all settled in uh we're in our we're in our new house um everything's you know unpacked uh good to go so it's been it's been tricky because you know we spent six years in claremont um bought a house there had our kids uh had our kids there didn't really want to leave um 
and uh, yeah, we just thought we'd give it a we'd give it a go. Um, the first probably month we were like, "What the hell are we doing?" Uh, and but now now we now we settled in. We we've absolutely loved it, I and mean, we we've definitely um, we've been happy that we made the decision to come here. To to explain you, Nikki, the, the reason why we're doing this is because of all the shite that we hear about France in the UK and people have well, be, be basically being fed shit about the reality and stuff. And there's always who made it and why and who did it and why. And the particularly, you know, the, the, the charismatic things that you can see in France day in, day out, the, the, the little things that you fell in love with, because I, I know that personally, but, but also the, the things that could bug you from time to time. So that, that's why, but before we get chatting about all that, I just want to say that, well, I always get asked basically who made it and why and this and that. I do think Nick, is one of the biggest successes of, of, of definitely one of the biggest successes in terms of English people, even if we're talking about your nationality, because I think you're a bit unsure about it. But um, he's definitely one of the biggest successes in terms of integration, taking the, the, you know, the, the whole experience into, into one. I think it all started because, because of the type of dude that you are, because you're open-minded, you're curious, you're keen. Uh, he, he got off, in France, we make a huge point about, about the language. France is 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 um, I was gonna swear again, but is is complicated to 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 learn. Okay, but if you make the effort, if you show that you want to to do it, it makes a hell of a difference. Uh, it will probably answer you in English to say you think I don't speak English, you think I'm a dick or what. But still, it shows it shows that you you're, you're trying to make an effort, and that's what Nick did from the start. Not only did he he was he a legendary good player, it's a fantastic teammate to have in the changing room. Always got a smile on his face, always positive about the things that he saw around him. Um, absolutely fell in love with France. And that's why I'm absolutely delighted to have a chat with you now. Not only is it a pleasure to speak to you in general, but because I think you're one of the great examples of, you want to make it in France? This is how you do it. I can only assume that he's saying that because you've got some dirt on him that he doesn't want you to. <laughs> <laughs> it's my second bottle of wine. I become nice, you know? So just talk to us, Nick, about initially when you moved over to Clermont, then how, how easy or how hard was that to, to acclimatize and to, to get used to the kind of difference in, in culture in France compared to an English rugby? Well, I think uh, the hardest part was leaving Bath. Um, I'd been at Bath my, uh, for, for, for 10 years. Um, in my head, uh, I thought I was going to play at Bath the rest of my, my career. Um, you know, I was bar through and through, absolutely loved the city. My family are close. Um, you know, I uh, started going out with my then, uh, my now wife, um, Florence. So we were all pretty, pretty, pretty settled there. I still had a year left on my contract and out of the blue, um, I had a call off, uh, the, the Claremont manager, Neil McRoy, um, saying, look, you know, you, would you be interested in, um, in, in coming over to, to play for Claremont? Uh, at the time, I, I was, you know, was a bit sort of taken back about it. Didn't didn't really take it too seriously. It was only when I really sat down with my dad and my brother um, that, uh, obviously, Benji knows my dad very well. So, the legend. First chance, the first chance he uh, he heard that I had a chance of, of going over to play in France, he was like, "Why well, you got to go? You got to go." <laughs> Think of all those those wine chateaus in Bordeaux that we can go visit. <laughs> um, so it was only after speaking to those two that um, that I that I started to take it seriously, and uh, and set the wheels in motion. Really, um, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I don't think many people know this story actually. But um, 
I, I, I said yes to, to, to Neil. Um, I had to go to Bruce Craig um, and tell him that, you know, I want to leave my contract um, early, which obviously he wasn't happy about. Um, and, uh, you know, actually, I, I ended up having to pay, my, pay, pay myself out of my contract um, to, to get released to go to Claremont because Claremont said they weren't, they weren't going to pay any transfer fees, so it was up to me to, to get released. Um, I had told Bruce Craig that it's, that's, a done, that's a done deal that I'm going. And then a week later, Neil McRoy called me and said, "Oh, look, we're really sorry, but actually, we've gone for we've gone for someone else." <laughs> oh, shit. Um, and I think I think I'm not sure who it was. He never told me, but I think it was Benjamin Fell. Um, they decided to go for Benjamin Fell over me, and then at the last minute, Benjamin Fell then decided to go to Montpellier. And so, three days after, then going back to Bruce and saying, "Oh, look, actually, they've decided to go with someone else." Um, so I'm staying at Bath. <laughs> Neil McElroy called me up again and said, I'm really sorry, mate. This is really unprofessional. But, um, you know, uh, that guy's decided to go somewhere else. The, the spot's open again. Uh, are you still interested? And I had to go on my hands and knees groveling to, to prove to say, I'm really sorry, mate. But <laughs> I'm out of here. Um, I never knew. Yeah, it, was quite a, it was quite a bizarre start to the whole, the whole adventure. Is that why you grew a massive beard? You tried to create another person to be like, listen, I'm, I'm a Kiwi. <laughs> like, you don't know who I am, but I'm Aistoyava basically for the future. He came with a gino. It was like, who the hell is this tiny little English, Dutch, South African white man Viking. with a massive, massive <laughs> beard and, 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 and basically blonde hair? But, but you killed it from the start, mate. So it was a great decision. Yeah, that didn't last long in the 45 degree heat of, uh, of Claremont. That came off pretty quickly. And you mentioned how hard it was to leave Bath. Um, was a part of the motivation sort of not being able to, to get recognition by England? Was that a part of it? If you, if you were getting recognition, do you think you'd have stayed? Um, I think, you know, at Bath, we, we had some great, some great, team, uh, some great teams that I played in. Um, you know, when Butch James was there, uh, Michael Clarsen's... Um, you know, we had a we had a fantastic team there with Ollie Barkley, um, some some great players, Matt Banahan, and we but we were always sort of uh, you know we threatened to get into the playoffs, but we were always sort of around, you know, either squeezing into the playoffs at the last minute or or sort of middle of the table, um, you know, getting on the Super Sunday early earlier than most other teams and and cracking on thinking about next se next season. So. I think I was just a bit sick and tired of not playing in in a few big games, and uh, obviously, you know, having having followed uh, French rugby um, myself, I knew that you know I played against uh, Claremont in the final of the 2007 Challenge Cup. That it was pretty much that was my first breakout season at Bath, so I'd already um, had a taste of uh, of playing against a, a massive French side like uh, like Claremont and. Um, I've always wanted to play overseas ever since I was at Bath. I had one opportunity to go to Australia with uh, old Danny Cipriani to the uh, Melbourne Rebels, Oof. which I also almost very closely uh, was almost a done deal as well. And that uh, fell through at the last minute. Luckily, I didn't. Otherwise, I'd be probably stealing vodka behind the bar with him. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so as soon as I had the the opportunity, I mean, it's one of the it's one of those clubs you don't really you don't really say no to. It's like if you get asked to play for the Barbarians, you know, if you say no to the Barbarians, you never get invited back again. So 
Um, I think the the grandeur of um, of the the Claremont shirt and the and the sort of um, the pull behind that was was something that appealed to me too much. And if it hadn't been Claremont, would you have gone? That interest. A lot of people have a sort of French dream. You've all said you, your dad almost had the French dream for you, and that he wanted to get out and drink wine in chateaus. But if it had been a cast or a Breve or a a team that wasn't in that grand stadium would you have gone would that have been able to pry you away from Bath or did it have to be a big all-star cast like Clermont um yeah before I came to, came to Clermont I didn't know where Reeve was so. <laughs> yeah, there you go I think you've answered my question cast <laughs> um yeah I think it, it, it would have been it would have have to have been um you know um one of the one of the the big big clubs that pulled me away from Bath I think you know I, I love the city I still might see myself going back and, and living there potentially in um, in the future if uh, if Benji and, and Stretz don't pull me towards the Seven Oaks area. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think uh, when it was Claremont, then uh, then that had, had had my yeah, it was set at a done deal really. Let's face it, your dad could can face can find a chateau anywhere, <laughs> mate. Basically, in the middle of the boggiest, dirtiest farm, he'll find something to drink, a nice fella, and a good conversation to get going. So, anything across the channel, I think he was in. He's <laughs> let's go. But honestly, how much of um? So maybe we'll talk about it later. I don't know, but how much of your upbringing and basically your parents being sort of. Uh, not adventurous, but having traveled and you have a sort of mixed origins and stuff, how much did that play a part into the fact that I think, I mean, whenever you speak to you, you're always curious about other things. You're always keen on discovering other things. So it doesn't, you're not the type of guy, I I think, maybe I'm wrong, but they would have stayed there his whole life in the premiership. You pretty much answered the question by saying there was either the Melbourne Rebels, if it hadn't been that, I think right now you would have been looking at Japan or just doing something uh, fun. Is that down to your upbringing, you reckon? Yeah, I think it's definitely got a part to play in it. Um, you know, we were we were a family when we were young that we we just um, went on you know holidays all the time, and um, you know, coming from the rough streets of Bath, uh, it was um, pretty pretty difficult. <laughs> uh, but um, now, I mean, my whole family lived in South Africa when we were when we were growing up, so it was always Christmas times in South Africa, and then. Um, you know, my dad has worked and travelled all over Africa. He's um, he's also a world traveller. Obviously, Benji knows him knows him well. He's involved in um, a society called the Spoofing Society, and uh, <laughs> it's basically a bunch of pissheads. That uh, that's my dream goal. Just yeah. that's my life goal. Just so you know, by the yeah, way, I'm, I'm, I want to apply. It's um, they've turned it into a pretty um, a pretty amazing society, and in, in by which. I think 95% of them are divorced, um, but they basically travel around watching international rugby matches around the world and they do spoofing, spoofing uh, tournaments, competitions. And so every single, you know, Lions test, uh, you know, South African test, um, any, any test match anywhere, you'll find a spoofer somewhere. Uh, my dad's got a very famous friend, uh, Nick Poynton. Um, who's he's kept a program from every single one of his tests he's got to gone to go and watch. Um, he's he's up to about six hundred and thirty test matches, uh, and he travels to he tra- he travelled to Georgia versus Russia. He travels to he travels to, I mean all over the world just watching just watching rugby. And so um, it's definitely definitely been in my blood to to play overseas and uh, 
and do a lot of traveling. Um, so yeah, I reckon it's definitely played a, a part in, in, in why I came to Clermont. Mate, you've done a bit of traveling now from Clermont to Van. Give us a little insight into how you're actually finding the in and outs of rugby life in Van. Like not many people know about Van as a club. It was in Federal One four or five years ago, but they've actually got a cracking little stadium. The surface is great. I imagine it suits you down to the ground. It's a fast track. You're meant to host Fiji, France, but it was canceled. But how have you found, like, obviously Clermont, massive club. How have you found going from Clermont, huge games, massive spectacles, down to Port de Honestly, how are you finding Port de I've been there. It's a graft. How are you finding it? Yeah, look, you know, I've, I, I, like I said earlier, I never wanted to leave Clermont. I still had a plus one on my contract. Um, uh, and unfortunately, you know, I had a bad run of uh, a couple of injuries. Um, as Benji knows, a, a couple of uh, um, neck hernias, uh, which kept me out of uh, the season a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, understandably, uh, I was getting towards sort of, you know, age limit-wise of time to move on. And, uh, and Claremont released me um, from my plus one. Didn't hold anything against them. You know, I had a fantastic run at Claremont. Um, and they, you know, if they're a business, they've got to make those sort of uh, tough decisions. Um, in my head, I, I was actually, I thought, you know, oh, as soon as the, the whole COVID hit, I was like, well, no club's going to come for a, an old washed out fullback now. So, um, you know, I thought that was going to be, that was going to be the end. I was going to hang up my boots and, and look towards uh, the next chapter. And, and was it end of, end of August, had a call from, from Van, had to look straight away on the map where Van was. Because, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't didn't know too much about the club, about the place, about um, the region. Um, and when I signed, I'll be honest with you, I've, I signed more of a, you know, by the by the beach. Um, Benji's um, fairly acquainted with this region. I mean, his parents live uh, just down the road in Trinité de Mer. Um, and I was like, oh, for the kids, it just seemed like a, a great choice to. If it wasn't going to be down in Bayonne or Beritz, uh, where you're lucky enough to be, um, then you know it was it was something that I've always wanted to do is live by the sea. Uh, Floz's family have, have holidayed in um, in Brittany since she was a little girl, so she said it's an absolutely amazing place. And uh, yeah, I, I pretty much made it first of all for a lifestyle change, but now that I'm actually here and I've got stuck into the season, I've met the team. Um, the, the, it's 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 changed completely. My 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 look on on why I'm here has changed. Now now it's to try and you know hopefully help this team to to get promoted into top fourteen. Uh, it's given me a new lease of new new lease of life in terms of um, in terms of the rugby. I mean it's it's you know you can't compare it to Claremont. It's you know we train in a tent. We've we've got a you know pretty pretty. Uh, you know, um, dated uh, training facilities, but the guys come in with a smile on their face. Um, you know, there's never any complaining. Uh, you know, they're, they're grafters. I thought I thought that you know they were, it was probably going to be a lot easier than it than it has been. But uh, you know, they're very very professional players here. They just haven't maybe got the the luck or the opportunities that some of some of the guys in the top fourteen have got. And uh, the tightness of the team is uh, is it's amazing. Everyone's you know really gets on gets on well, and that shows in 
in the bus trips on the way back when you have to travel for nine hours in a bus with, <laughs> with the boys from from uh, from wherever to van. Um, you know, it's great fun, and I'm I'm seriously glad that I've uh, that I've come here. I think that's one thing people don't appreciate when you go from top fourteen to Porte Do. Any money that was for frivolous stuff, when you say frivolous stuff, but things that you take for granted like travel or food or infrastructure is gone. There's nothing. So like if you're in an extremity geographically, like you are up the north, we are that like every second weekend we're on a bus for 13 hours. People don't appreciate, but even though in that league there are some absolute gems, I was gonna ask you as well, having knocked around now for half a season in Prodeu. Have you come across any people that you think could make it? Like I, I remember coming across absolute freaks of second rows, props that could scrummage, and some really exciting young kids that nobody knew about. Um, are there any kids at Van that you think could go on and make it and, and jump up another level, or anybody you come across and probably do you think is pretty decent? Two years ago, the fullback of Van was Anthony Boutier. Exactly, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Fullback of, of France. They still tell me I'm nowhere near as good as him. So living. <laughs> <laughs> you got it in before Benji. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to offer the contract of of three thousand a month or something, and then he took thirty thousand a month from uh, from Montpellier. He's a smart man. Mate, I rate I rate you high, higher than him. I'm telling you. <laughs> no, but yeah, he's he's um, he's one of the players who they talk about a lot here. Um, having made that transition, you know, he was playing pretty good for Van uh, one week, and the next week he was signed for, for Montpellier and, um, and playing for for France. So. Look, in my opinion, there's a bunch of guys in this team that could easily play top 14. Um, and I think, well, I know that, uh, you know, a couple of them have already signed for, for top 14 clubs. Um, you know, one of them signed for mine and Benji's old club. But I won't uh, say who. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, you've got some... What very position? Hey. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Tide five. A clue. Tide five or the all the rest of the pussies. Yeah, that's like that's like at the end of a of a Saxons tour when they say, right, you've got to fill out a questionnaire. It's anonymous, but how many what club do you play at and what how many caps have you had for England? And what are your initials? <laughs> and everyone's like, uh, I'm not gonna put my name, but I've had <laughs> um yeah, Ooh, I'll, I'll, keep that, I'll keep that one close to my chest, but um yeah, I think uh you know, we've obviously done fantastically well this year and uh, top 14 clubs, you know, they've, they've got to deal with this whole GIF, um, this GIF rule and I don't think you can get anything better than, uh, than the, you know, some good players in the top 14 who you probably don't have to pay a huge amount of money for, like some international um, superstars, but will will be absolute grafters. Um, you know, everyone in here is chomping at a bit to try and get their, their opportunity to... Uh, to get into a top 14 and um, it's all, in my opinion, it's all about luck. Yeah? You just need luck. Some of these guys just need a couple of injuries, get into a club as a medical joker or something like that and take, take their opportunity. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely players here that could, uh, that could play in the top 14. You might not be able to tell us about those moves of your teammates going to the top 14, but you might be able to shed a bit of light on potential rumours about yourself because you moved to Van, but... There were rumours of Leicester, London Irish. There were rumours that you were looking about trying to go back to, to Bath. So were, were there other offers? Where were those offers? And how close did you come to moving back to England? For, uh, for the story, I pushed for Leicester and he told me to get fucked. Like, no, no chance. No chance. Not happening. Forget about it, Benji. Go to bed. That's what he told me. Okay. Yeah, I thought someone who's becoming, you know, the new David Flatman of the commentary world would know would be more of an in than that. 
No, actually, I was very, very close to going to Leicester. It was, um, it was, um, if they had, if they had offered me a two-year deal, then I would have, I would have been in, uh, in Leicester. But I'm pretty glad they didn't offer me a two-year deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I was in, I was in uh, uh, pretty long conversations with the London Irish, um, Leicester. Bath came in at the last minute, but that didn't last uh, uh, for very long. Um, but yeah, um, you know the the coach of uh, the the coach London Irish Brad Davis was the backs coach um, for, for me at Bath, so I was chatting to him a lot. Um, and then Declan Kidney uh, and um, and uh, Les Kiss, Les Kiss, yeah, Declan Kidney and Les Kiss uh, had a had a Skype call with them. <laughs> Didn't understand a word Declan Kidney said, so, uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to London Irish then. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, I had, a, had a, uh, a number of chats with Steve Borthwick and him, he, he was my captain at Bath for five, five years. Um, I've had a number of players um, in the current England setup and also um, when he was coach at Bristol say that he's the best coach they've ever, they've ever been coached by. Uh, and that was a massive pull for me. If, I, if I'd gone to Leicester, it would have been purely for for that um, for that fact was to to be coached by Steve Borthwick. Um, it definitely wouldn't have been to go and experience the nightclubs of Leicester again. Um, uh, but yeah, unfortunately, they just said that they couldn't uh, they couldn't get a two year deal for me because um, of my age. And uh, Van had a two year deal on the table, so I thought I may as well just uh, I may as well go for the two year deal on Van. Going on to something that we talk quite regularly about on here and and different players have moved from England to France or from South Africa to France or from wherever to France to talk about the coaching when they get there. You obviously moved to Clermont a while back. How big a difference was it coaching wise between Bath and Clermont? And have you seen a massive kind of development in the coaching in France over the last sort of five years or so? Ponk yeah. is not your daddy anymore. So you can actually be honest for the first time in your life, you know? <laughs> I still have weekly chats with him, mate. So I can't be... <laughs> <laughs> Bedtime stories. That's about it. You, Freddie, the scouting officer. Um, yeah, to be honest, with you, I was I was a little bit sort of worried about it when I when I first uh, decided to come out to Bath because you do hear so many stories um, about the you know the French um, the French coaching, the French sort of uh, medical departments um, uh, and things like that. So it was definitely something that was that was nagging in the back of my head, but. Um, you know, lucky enough to to have gone to a club like Claremont, where I think they're they're definitely um, more advanced, I would say, than most of the other big uh, the big French club clubs um, in terms of their medical department. Um, you know, Frank's pretty open minded. He's done a bit of you know international sort of coaching overseas, and um, I think he. I think Frank, as a coach, definitely understands a lot better than some of the other French coaches the whole international aspect of of uh, of the coaching side of things. Um, so I think I've probably struck lucky going to a club like Claremont because if I'd you know gone to somewhere like I don't know Toulon, uh, Montpellier before. Um, yeah, Montpellier, a couple of clubs like that. I've heard a few horror stories. Breve as well. And he had Scott Spedding on the podcast who, who told you a few <laughs> stories. Um, 
uh, of his time at Brief. Um, but yeah, I think I, I lucked out going to Claremont because they definitely, they're definitely Frank's definitely got a, a, a more open-minded approach to to his coaching style. I mean, you started off and you were absolutely flying as soon as you arrived. I wanted to. We, we talked a little bit about not reaching as many as many international caps as you would have liked with England, obviously. How then frustrating was it? Everything was going so well for you at Claremont. You're a European Player of the Year. Like you were ridiculous for four or five seasons straight, and you still didn't get a chance to get back in that England squad. Looking back now, do you feel a bit aggrieved? I mean, your form was ridiculous. You're the best player in Europe, but you cannot break into that England squad. Do you see reason in it, or, or do you feel that you should have been part of the team? Uh, I, don't, I don't really feel aggrieved at all. I think um, you know before I came, before I signed for for Claremont, I knew the rules. Um, even though you know um, I didn't agree with them as as such, I knew the rules and I knew and that. Should they change them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had a conversation with um, my England. My England career has always been a, a bit of a, a funny one. You know, I, I sort of um, I got in there when I was very young. Um, um, you know. Missed a tackle on big Sebastian Chabelle in a, a warm-up game before the World Cup in 07. and uh, and you know that was that was the stigma that I had attached to me for pretty much the next six years of my career that I was uh, I couldn't defend and stuff like that. So never really got an opportunity, and then um, had a good had a, had a great season for Bath uh, the year before I left to go to Claremont when Stuart Lancaster was in charge and. Um, the, it was probably about two weeks before I was going to definitely sign for Claremont that um, Stu rang me and said, look, you know, you've played your way back into contention with the England team. Um, we, don't want you to, we don't want you to go to France because then you won't be able to play for England. I said, OK, Stu, I'm going to give you an ultimatum here. If you take me to New <laughs> I, said, I like it. There's no way in the world, Nick, you said, okay, Stu, All listen, right, Stu. Mate, I'm going to give you an ultimatum now. <laughs> Shut up, Stu. Shut up, Stu. I'm speaking. Second okay? ball of wine. I'm going to give you an ultimatum. This is how the conversation went. Okay, Stu, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> but I said, no, seriously, I said, to, I said to Stu, okay, Stu, if you don't really go, I tell you what, you take me to New Zealand, you, you 100% guarantee that you're going to take me to the tour in New Zealand. And uh, I will go to Bruce Craig tomorrow, and I will uh, I will stay at Bath um, for for another two years, and uh, see if I can make my way back into the to the England fold. And uh, um, you know, I just I just pretty much come off my best season at at Bath. Um, it was Alex Good at the time who was who was the fullback, but um, you know, I thought I was probably as good, um, if not sort of in better form than him at the moment at at that sort of time. And he said, uh, he said, uh, I, I can't give you those assurances. Um, you know, I can't, I can't tell you that I'm going to take New Zealand. So in my mind, it was Bruce had gone to him and said, look, you need to give him a call and tell him that uh, he can't go to France. He's, 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 you know, played his way back into into England contention, and he's got to stay here. And I think Bruce thought if I had that England character angled in front of me, then I wouldn't, uh, then I wouldn't go. But like, um, I sniffed it out. Sniffed you called bullshit. I like it. <laughs> And uh, and if he if he couldn't give me that hundred percent assurance that uh, that I would go on that tour, then I was I, I said I'm I'm not going to take the risk. I can't give up a, an opportunity of, of not going to Claremont for for a, for a dangling carrot. 
Wow. Um, I, I'm slightly confused about the timeline of events here. It seems like you had about 19 conversations with Bruce Craig. I'm coming, I'm going, I'm coming, I'm going. <laughs> He's got him on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you did move to Claremont. You ended up in Claremont and then Benji's there to greet you. Give us, give us your first impressions of Benji. Yeah, I mean... Um... You know, Benji's a bit of a, a, a one-off character in the, in the fact that he's gone through the the generational the, the generational switch. So he he knows the he knows everything about the old school um, the old school way, and also uh, has respect for for the more current players. Um, having played, you know, with the young guys now that are that are all very professional and stuff like that, but. And obviously, knew Benji playing at uh, at, uh, at Leicester a couple of times. Were you playing? Were you playing when um, when you kicked us out of the the semi final? When was it? Um, who was it? Two thousand seven. Julian Dupuis. Yeah, spin spin on himself and scored the eightieth minute. Exactly. But and then uh, we beat you in the semi final of the Premiership a couple of weeks after. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. That's yeah, so I hated Benji before I came. Uh, to <laughs> <laughs> But no, he's, I mean, he was, he was, he was a very, very welcoming guy. Um, and obviously, his wife's uh, Andrea's English as well, and uh, my wife's English. So, I mean, the hardest thing about moving to a new country is that you, first of all, don't speak the language. Second of all, you don't know anyone. So, it's great to have had those two there who are so, obviously so settled. Seeing, um, seeing sort of uh, um, Andrea as well being fluent in French, that gave Florence a lot of confidence that, you know, she could obviously then hopefully become. Um, as fluent as, as as Andrew was, and yeah, definitely made our transition to to Claremont that much easier to have that uh, close grip. Uh, you know, it's a, it's an old saying, but you always say "happy wife, happy life." And uh, luckily for the wives, for for the wives at the time, they had you know Andrea, uh, Rachel, and her sister was there, Storm was there, and Phoebe Strettle. They had a really close close knit group of of girls that. Um, you know, made our lives a hell of a lot easier because then you don't have to rush back home and make sure the wives are okay and uh, and, and things like that. So yeah, it was you know it's a, it's a game changer having um, personalities and, and friends like that uh, so so um, so welcome on arrival. And talk to us about the the highlights then at Claremont because obviously from the outside everyone talks about Claremont being always the bridesmaids. Obviously they have won top fourteen titles, but from your perspective, the, your time there, what were the what were the main highlights? Um, highlight without a doubt was the um, well, I always, I always say that the when we won in two thousand seventeen is is definitely my highlight. But I mean, almost more of a highlight than that was the the semi final against Saracens at St Etienne. Um, I think that first season, I never really understood what uh, hunting cut rugby was all about because at Bath we 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 were never we were sort of challenge cut. Then we play a season the hunting cup, and I think the furthest we got were the quarters when we got knocked out by Wasp, and never really experienced too much of um, of what the competition really is about until that first season at Claremont when. Uh, when uh, you know we we had a fantastic team, uh, we went. I think we went on almost. Did we go unbeaten in that first? Um, or we lost to? I think we lost to one of the clubs away. But we we beat in Manchester pool stages. Like pool stages. No, like idiots. I think we only we only lost to like Sale. Then we lose. To, I can't remember. No, but I, th- I think we we went on. I think we went unbeaten, unbeaten in our pool stages. Pool stages. 
yeah, beating Munster away for the first time, first French team to beat Munster away was was something uh, you know unbelievable. Uh, first time playing at, at Turn Park as well. Um, and then yeah, Saracens at St Etienne was just out of this world. It was. Um, I remember sitting next to Jonathan Davies on the on the bus. If you ever hear from him, by the way, tell him. <laughs> I say, because like, he hasn't answered any one of my 1,562 text messages that I've sent him since he's left Claremont. Um, but uh, I remember sitting next to him on the bus, uh, you know, when we're trickling through the fans there going towards the stadium, the flags are, the yellow and blue flags are going, uh, you know, the drums are, are banging, the people are banging on the windows. And I just said to him, Look, I said, Fox, Look at this! Look at this! This is this is the reason you come and play at a, a big club uh, like Clermont in France. There's there's just no comparison whatsoever to 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 anything like it back in the Premiership. It's just uh, it's on a whole whole other level. And um, yeah, that, that's definitely one of the one of the memories that will that will stick with me for forever. Man, that's so I've good. got goosebumps. I've got goosebumps just just even thinking about it. For for you guys, what what, what you need to understand is that Saint Etienne is a hundred kilometers away from Clermont. So let's just say, one hundred and ten, I think. So on a good run, it'll take you fifty minutes to get there. Um, we drove four days, I think. Before, I think you remember, Nick. We went on camp somewhere in a hotel. I can't remember what we did exactly. But then the wives and obviously the supporters uh, all came that day. It took them six and a half hours to drive that that ninety miles. Because the whole region basically traveled on the motorway. All you saw was the license plate 63, because in France you have the, the number of the département that's on your license plate. And, and it took them six and a half hours to get there. We got to the stadium. I mean, the place was rocking. The reason being, Saint-Étienne, you know, the, the, the green jerseys of the football team and stuff, they're very humble backgrounds. There used to be factories everywhere there. They used to work on metal in that area. Um, and and it really clicked with Clermont, which is uh, obviously the old factories of Michelin and all that on that background and stuff. And they just love their attitude, hard, tough, hardworking, humble people, whatever. So you know when two cities sort of click, and we get to Geoffroy Guichard, the stadium. Honestly, you tell me if I'm wrong, Nick, but it's one of the best freaking stadiums I've ever been in. It is un chaudron in France, what they call, it, which is like a, a marmite. How do you call that? Like a big cauldron. And they just redid it because that year was 2015, right? And in 2016 was the Euro um, football uh, competition in France. So they redid Marseille, they redid Nice, they redid, redid uh, Bordeaux and Saint-Étienne. So it's brand new, completely closed up. It, uh, absolutely stunning, stunning stadium. And we got there, honestly, it's an incredible game, incredibly tense. Um, Brock James chips it up. Wesley Fofana gets the bounce, scores. You know, just a tight game against Saracens, one of one of the biggest opponents we ever came across. And we just looked at the stands. I remember at warm-up, at some point, we, we gathered around because we were trying to call, you know, you call it like a simple play to go through a couple of face plays as a, the end of warm-up. We had to gather around and be like, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> Just chuck it short and then chuck it up, whatever. We didn't have a clue what was going on. There was so much noise. We almost wanted to tell the fans, just calm down a little bit because yeah. we could not hear ourselves. It was almost going to be problematic. That was that, that much noise. Played the game, won the game, incredible atmosphere. And remember, Nick, we did one lap around the field and then we didn't want to go in the change room. We did a second one. <laughs> we still didn't want to go in the change room. Everybody was still in their seats. 
They had not moved. You know, normally at the 78th minute, there's always the cheeky guy who wants to catch the bus or catch the subway who will sneak off, follow it off his voin and stuff. They stayed there about 45 minutes after the game. There was not one seat left. There was not one Saracens fan, that's for sure. Or probably there was the one which was like, I don't know, David Strettel's father-in-law or something. (laughs) (laughs) And my father-in-law probably had a a Saracens, but he had a a nice M jersey, but just in case he had a Saracens flag, you know, just to be be safe. And and we did three laps. And I remember sitting in the change room. In the change room, there was actually no more atmosphere because we were all so wrecked out of our emotion. We were drained. And I remember sitting there, we were like, what just happened? Like, we really, that was the feeling between the boys did we just like witness or part of sort of sporting history not in terms of the results everybody wins semi-finals every year but just of the atmosphere that we just had and i mean you'll go through international rugby we won in munster that was incredible i remember every second of it uh we won in leinster we won whatever some amazing games this 2017 title um I mean, it's something that obviously a memory that we will share and cherish for the rest of our lives. But still, those moments after in Saint Etienne, they just fuck. I want to play again. <laughs> I don't want any of the rest, but I want that. I want those five minutes after. Or maybe it will never be the same. So we're happy. We've got it locked it in the head. Just incredible, incredible moment. There's some players leaving, Vance. I think Nick can get you a deal over there, Benji. So you, <laughs> you'll be back. Um, they, those times on the field and in the change room afterwards, obviously amazing times, but a little bit further away from the field. I think Johnny's got some inside info. He wants to ask you about some funny stories off the field. Maybe one in Spain, Johnny? It's come from Grieg, little Grieg Laidlaw. He wants to ask you about a very shit burger that you once had in Spain. Can you please spill the beans? Did you have a shit burger in Spain? A shit burger? <laughs> Well, the place was called Good Burger. <laughs> <laughs> Ironic. But I, I decided to change it on its head because I went in there and it was probably the worst burger I've ever had in my life. So I was like, you guys take it a piss. This place could be, should be called Shit Burger, not Good Burger. <laughs> no, that, was, uh, that was one of our three outings to, uh, to Benidorm that, that we went on. It was like a week-long, week-long camp. But uh, we had we had a great we had a great week, didn't we? We didn't do much training, but uh, we sort of found a few local Irish Guinness bars, and uh, that's when we actually found out the uh, you know let's let's go drink drink uh, drink Guinness like Jono Gibbs because he, by the time he's passed you one, <laughs> he's pint, the only guy. He's the only guy. You come to the bar with him. He's like, can I have three Guinnesses? But it's only the two of us. Yeah, two for me, one for you. And he calls one, <laughs> and then he chats with you with the second one. And it, oh, fuck that's what the Irish boys say. Oh, John Gibbs, let's go drink Guinness like John Gibbs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean those those trips were those trips were great. <clears throat> it was one that, you know one of the one of the years that we we had a trip to Benidorm. We went to um, the other the best one, the best one. We, uh, Barcelona. We had Barcelona. Barcelona. Barcelona three. Is it is it fair to say, Nick? Is it fair to say that that's the the biggest input of David Stretto in his three years at ISM? He was average on the piss. He was average on the pitch. 
he was very average in a change room but his main thing that he brought to the club which was absolutely huge was to say listen the trick of saracens the real trick they've got of their sleeves is those drinking those drinking sort of training camps you know where we used to play a game on the saturday and then you go sunday monday tuesday anywhere you want spain we ended up going to Spain and then you still play in the, on, on the weekend. And it's true. It actually worked for us also. We never lost a game <laughs> after drinking piss for three days <laughs> and bonding all together. And it was just extraordinary. So Nick mentioned Benidorm and then we won, uh, we won in Bordeaux. Then Nick mentioned Barcelona. We went the week after in Brive, the do- local derby. We put 40 points on them. The boys, the three days before, were all <laughs> jumping up. It's the fear, <laughs> mate. You got the fear. Together. Uh, the, these, these, trips were, these trips were priceless. Do they still happen, Nick? Last year at Claremont, were you still going to Benidorm or Barcelona? Are they still happening? Uh, no, well, once Stretch left and they decided to pull the, <laughs> <laughs> pull the plug on that. Uh, we, uh, the, the trips, the trips uh, stopped after... <laughs> after we won the trip. We won the title in 2017. Oh, yeah. Our our, uh, <laughs> our our well done, well done boys was a uh, was four days in Ibiza, <laughs> uh, which got very 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 interesting at times. Um, which we followed up with probably the worst season Claremont's ever had in their history. So the uh, the president um, decided to, <laughs> to pull the plug on on all social visits overseas. <laughs> the moral of the story is it's all about timing, isn't it? So we used to go on the piss before, play after, and then he always said, he came into the changing room once, may he rest in peace, Eric de Comier, legend of a bloke. Um, and Clermont always had this, this sort of rep- reputation of being right, too clean, too nice, um, too professional. And he rocks up the old number two of Michelin world. Boom. You know, and he walks in, he's like, Boys, you win a title this year. Je vais vous faire une bambula d'enfer. That means like, I will give you, I will rock your world. You know, it, it, and everybody started giggling and we were like, President, President. You know, yes. everybody shouting at him, whatever. And then he got all excited. You could tell he was getting something. Yeah, I'll take you, I'll, t- I'll take you to, to Vegas. I'll take you to Vegas. And the boys were like, President, President. Never went to Vegas, obviously. But and in, the, in the end, in the end, um, we won it. The moment after the final, like, president, yo, it's a holiday somewhere. I said, oh, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. I'm, I'm a man of my word, man of my word. So we end up, ended up five weeks after winning a title that we thoroughly uh, enjoyed, obviously. Um, five weeks after, with a lot of new boys that didn't win the title <laughs> with us. In that particular season, we actually, there was a lot of turnover. There was at least 12 guys who left, 12 guys who arrived. And we ended up going first day. Rock up to preseason, yeah, you know, seven o'clock in the in the morning. Yeah, let's go to let's go to the airport, and we went to Ibiza for three or four days. That's the dream. And that did not that. And it was an amazing trip. We had a good fun and stuff, but it was a little bit weird because you wanted to celebrate the title, but there was ten blokes there. Then you always there's always ten academy guys that you never seen in your life that are like sixteen, <laughs> make you feel very very old, oh, and who were there like they were loving it. They're like oh professional rugby, you just go to Ibiza, <laughs> you know. They were loving it. I can still remember the president coming the first day. He was buying us beers for the first lunch, and then it was four days of nonstop. Amazing. But that did not set the tone to such a particularly successful uh, season. And we had the highest amount of injuries in the history of the club. I think at the moment of time, there was about 21 guys in, 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 in the injury list. Uh, and we had a terrible season. So I don't think that's going to happen again. 
Mate, Nick, what are your plans now after this contract in Van? Are you going to stay out in Brittany? I know you've got the house back in Clermont. Are you going to get back to the centre of France? Or are you going to get back to the UK? You fancy coaching? What are your, what are your next plans? Uh, we actually sold our house in Clermont. So um, that was that's an all boom busted deal. Yeah, nice to plus value. wipe the slate clean of that one. Um, although, you know, we've, we've kept uh, great contact with all of our um, neighbours and stuff there. So I'm sure we'll go back and visit. Um, uh, plans after finished at Van is uh, probably to move back to the UK. Um, you know, I said to my I said to my wife, you know, following following a, a rugby player around is not um, that desirable. Uh, uh, yes, you are. They all say that. <laughs> Don't let her say that. Yeah. Well, when when she 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 gave up a pretty decent job in the city to to come to France. Um, so now she's. I said to her, look, we'll go to Van, but you know, we'll concentrate more on your uh, on your pathway than. Than mine, so she's setting up her, her business um, at the moment, um, which she needs to be more back in the UK than than here. So we'll we'll move back there at some point and uh, and set up. Not sure where yet, um, but uh, yeah, we'll set we'll set up back in the UK. Myself, I think I'll probably I think I'm going to be uh, what do they call it here, Benji? An auto entrepreneur, like uh, yeah. self-employed, self-employed freelancer. Uh, I'm going to try and you know. Um, you know, get little little bits and bits and pieces going. I don't want to sit in an office. I've always thought about doing a bit of coaching. Uh, I've got something in in the back of my mind uh, mind for that. I also love property, um, and so want to get into some sort of property development as well. And then, uh, yeah, we'll probably be end up, uh, you know, doing a whole lot of packaging and stuff for for my wife as well. So yeah, just get bits and bobs. And just quickly before we let you go, Nick, this is probably something that we're going to talk about between Benji and Johnny and myself later on. One of your former teammates this week, Michael Lippman, involved in some some very sad news, obviously, and it's hitting the headlines everywhere, I think, but certainly a lot in England. It's a difficult one to talk about, but I mean, have you suffered many head injuries in your career and what do you make of the news coming back? Because it seems to be polarizing people at the moment. A lot of people saying sort of we, we signed up, but admittedly without the knowledge of lots of things that are going on at the moment, there's obviously lawsuits. The main thing is it's just incredibly sad for guys like Michael Littman. But what's your take on the whole situation? Yeah, funny enough, I've actually been in contact with uh, with Lippy. Um, I sent him a message after I read the article. Um, after the article the other day, just... Uh, I know it's one of those weird things, isn't it? You look at someone's Instagram account and you think everything's all good and um, and uh, and he's having a whale of a time there in, in Sydney uh, in real estate and, you know, it looks like he's doing well and stuff. And, um, and you know, he told me about, you know, what he's going through and, and the symptoms he's got. And, and uh, yeah, it's pretty... Uh, it's eye-opening. Um you know, if I'm honest, like you know, I sometimes, you know, I don't get the whole sort of like anger side of it, but I sometimes feel feel like, you know, I wonder whether the, the I've taken too many knocks to the head. Um, you know, I've, I find myself sort of sitting there staring into oblivion, uh, and then sort of you know not really, you know, being in contact with what's going on in the room. But um, you know, I think you know rugby is. It's it's gonna it's it's, it's a it's a very tricky period in terms of 
of that, having seen everything that's gone on in the NFL. Um, you know, we, Johnny, Benji, myself, went through the went through the, the stages early on in our careers where there was no HIA stoppages in rugby. Uh, you know, I remember um, in, when was it, 2000, 2008, final against Worcester in the Challenge Cup, I took a, a knock to the jaw and a tackle and was completely sparked out and, um, you know, got up absolutely bambi-legged, uh, trying to run back to my position, was facing the wrong way, like fell over. Uh, and you and you sort of just carry on because you you want to be that tough that tough guy, you know. You want to sort of show that you're you're not um, you're not weak. And we we went through that sort of period, and then now we're going into the period where it's become very um, forefront in terms of uh, of safety. And um, and now I think you're going to see a whole flood of of players come out and uh, and say that they're experiencing experiencing symptoms um i don't know you don't really I, I i haven't really thought about it at all until until reading this and reading the stories of popham um you know it's pretty scary stuff uh reading those stories of him and how he, he's he's sort of um been around his family and i don't know you don't know obviously whether anything played a part in in dominici's um story with regards to that but you know we take we take a huge amount of knocks to the head and um, it's difficult to, <laughs> it's such a difficult topic <laughs> to, to, to really speak on and, and touch on. But uh, yeah, I think, I think this is only the start and I can see, I can see that uh, a lot more players are going to come out um, saying that they're experiencing the same things in, in the coming months, if not years. I think it's an incredibly tough topic to address because nobody really knows there's that gray zone that is terribly tough there's a sort of a mentality in rugby where you have to be tough like Nick <laughs> without being mean at all he, he wasn't born like like a number eight Samoan you had to you were obviously a skinny kid who was very very talented and very fast but you knew that you were playing in the big boys league and you always had to show that grit that mentality like you said look you missed one tackle against Sebastian Chabal I'm pretty sure you're not the only one who'd missed a tackle against Sebastian Chabal at all um, but but you still st stuck to it I, I know you as a, um, a fantastic defender who always threw his body on line for the team but probably how much does that play a part in saying I want to prove to everyone that you never thought about your health, you never thought about your well-being, you never thought about the consequences in the future. And you're saying it's tough to, to say, yes, but just the fact that what's happening to all those guys is making you think, did I not, did, was I thorough enough? Was I careful enough? That's already good. And you sharing it with us today, that's already a first step of saying, listen, we need to address this shit. It's too complicated. The consequences are too big, too, too, too dangerous to mean that rugby, I don't think rugby is a dangerous sport. I think rugby is a contact sport that needs to be addressed differently than it was 20 years ago. And so far it hasn't. And like you said, a couple of, 15 years ago, the boys were finding it funny if somebody's walking like this, you know, and, and barely standing up after a knock on the head. I remember giggling at Thierry Dussotoir taking Isitoro Maka, the massive number eight Tongan origin who played for the ABs in the face. And because, you know, he, would, he stumbled, 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 fell. Got up, stumbled, stumbled, fell. And people would giggle. Of course they would giggle. I would giggle. I, would, I think I was 18 or 19 or something. I giggled. Now I don't giggle anymore. 
because I'm thinking, bloody hell, that guy is just, he's brave enough to throw himself under, under the bus of that human bus that's coming at him. And on top of that, he might cause him damage. So I, I, when you think it's complicated, I think what you just said is already a first step into the right direction and, and fair play to you. I think I think you're only, we're only touching the iceberg. Yeah, I think uh, this is going to be a whole um, I don't know tsunami of problems for I don't know I don't even know who the are a few the um, other players associations. I just uh, yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see in what direction it heads. But it's 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 such. Um, it's it's very sad to to read some of the stories about the effects that some of the guys are going through. You know, when you give so much to a sport and then it affects your it affects your home life uh, home life so much, you 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 start questioning whether it was all worth it. It's a, it's a really tricky one to talk about, and it's great to get your input as well on it, Nick and Johnny and Benjamin. We'll we'll speak about it. I think, like you say, it'll run and run. But most importantly, it is the the players that need more input because you guys are at the coalface and you know what is happening. And I think most importantly from the players that I've spoken to, it is reduce the amount of contact training that you do, yeah, isn't it? hundred percent. So that's why I was going to say, look, we, I reckon between us, we could all give probably five to 10 names of people we've played with and immediately our circle have had to retire because of concussion. Easily. I could give like, I just top of my head. I've got Adam Whitelock, Shantain Happy, Armand Coster, three guys in my last two clubs that I've had to knock on the head. Um, the weird thing is, I think right now is as good as it's ever been. So like we're, a lot of people are saying, oh, world rugby have to do more. Yes, we're looking for continual improvement. But right now, compared to when we first started, you've now got HIAs with independent doctors every single game. Um, you've got absolutely no headshots allowed from our shoulders. People's heads are protected in the tackle area we've never had that before so it's as far as it's ever come but like you've just hit the nail on the head tim i think 80 to 90 percent of our collisions are in training and that's where for instance from experience i remember training with sean tain who you'd have played with at, um bath as well lovely bloke but it would get to the stage he'd get knocked out he'd go through his hia he'd try and come back at training he was getting knocked out running into tackle pads so not even tackle situations in a game it was that fragile that even medium intensity training, if he got clipped by a tackle pad, he was getting knocked out. And, and that's where, if we look to NFL, like you said a minute ago, Nick, for 10 years now, they've had a cap on the amount of collisions that you can go through in a season per player. And I think that's where, like we'll have all had the situation where you lose on a month, you lose on a Saturday, coach wants to give you a bollocking. He's like, right, 15 on 15, full contact, Tuesday morning, go. And it's a fucking bloodbath. And, and is that that you can't account for? There's no ind independent HIO doctors. There's no cameras picking up things. That, that's where the, I think the next step is, how do you cap it in training? How do you look after people in a 15-year career? How do you cap head knocks in a training environment? That's the next interesting bit because it's not always going to be the huge collision and knockout we've seen of George, like George North, like huge public, horrendous to watch. It's the, it's the cumulative micro-concussions of the repeat of getting hit week in, week out in that kind of situation and training, that, that's where the next step is going to have to come to protect people and the long-term health. I think that's what we're asking for is World Rugby, I think, already has gone way above what they've done over the past five years. But the next step is how do we control coaches? How do we control environments? And how do we look after people's longevity so that 
we aren't having more examples of Steve Thompson and Alex Popham because we don't want that in our sport. Like we've all now got kids. You want to take them down to mini rugby. You want them to have the social vehicle and the fun that we've had and the camaraderie, but you don't want them age 40 to have early dementia from getting head knocks. It's just not what we want. So I think that's the next step with Royal Rugby is they have to step in on a global, if it's the professional level and say, look, this is what we want from you. And this is how it has to change. I hundred percent agree with agree with you. you know, I, I get you know a lot of people come up to me and when I you know with my son and they go oh little rugby Ben and I I say to them no I don't want him to play rugby <laughs> you know I want to put a golf club in his hand before I put a rugby ball in his hand um, because oh, because of the money <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. screw the team sport get independence for you. You've always been you. the smartest Nick. You've <laughs> always been the smartest. I told it to everyone. You can play golf until you're 155 and you will milk a dry. Well done mate. Exactly. That's why me. you're back and that's why you never made it in the tight five. You're a bit scared but you're very smart. Veggie <laughs> yeah, hit it on the head. But, uh, <laughs> it's, you just put your bodies through absolute uh, you put it through an absolute. You know what the weird thing people don't appreciate is that it's actually again to against you, Benji, and I'm going to talk against forwards, which I would never normally do. But the highest speed collisions are always wingers and fullbacks. It's those guys that go through the car crash and get the most amount of impact injuries, which is crazy. I didn't really know that until two, three years ago. But they're actually braver than we thought. There we go. I I, I never sprinted because I wanted to protect my head. <laughs> That's the only reason. You're smart, You're smart mate. mate. <laughs> you Look, I lasted 16 years, and all those cheeky, fast, fast wingers and stuff—they're all collapsing before. Don't don't overuse your engine. Basically, that's the whole idea. I think they should. I should. I think they should start introducing what they have in the NFL—the free catch, the fair catch rule. Because at the moment, you've got a you know, you've got someone who's who's coming at a full pace, 40 meter sprint, and absolutely smashing you when you catch the ball. Like a Tuilagi, for instance. Yeah, like a Tuilagi. Um, I've 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 had plenty of those two. Um, Oh, there's different rules, rule changes that potentially could be looked at, but uh, yeah, it's only the start, I think. Right, Nick, uh, quick fire. Who's the most talented player you played with in France? Uh, I see it to Yava. He's a popular choice, isn't he? I knew it. And hey, coming from a guy who was in direct competition with him and Scott Spitting, and Scott Spitting pretty much said the same thing. I had to play the that is... for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the, the guys, um, yeah, he's a diff- he's a different level. He, he, you know, you think he's he's sort of cruising at sixty percent, and um, his ability to be able to read the game and uh, and put people into space is is uh, is something I've never seen. I've never seen before. Just as he, he just opens up space for other players so easily, and he's so unselfish. Uh, he's always looking to put someone else away before before himself, and um, yeah, I mean, to go with it as well as his character off the field. What a, what a man. It's funny because, I, I, honestly, if you asked Ice, there's a strong chance that Nick would be in the top three. So that's, <laughs> that's, I'm not joking. So that's, that's how much these two actually enjoy them, each other off the field as human blokes. And then they recognize talent on the field. And then what's the craziest thing you've heard a coach say out in France then? Uh, <laughs> say or do. Say or do. Say or do. Hmm. That's a that's a tricky one. I mean, we had John O'Gibbs, whose uh, whose second word was either C U N T or F. Uh, pretty much every 
every meeting that we that we went through. Um, craziest thing that they said. Um, you got any? You got any in mind, Benji? I've got I've got one, but I, I, I would love it if you if you came across it first. I don't even know. I don't even know if you were there. Who was it involving? No, it was Frank. It was Frank, was it? But I, I don't know if you remember, but we lost to so that shit season that you're talking about. Oh, the one we lost. Uh, was it that? Long. Was it that? Yeah, we lost to Toulon at home. I think we oh, lost. Well, was it twenty-eight five? And he did. Yeah, but well, it's a bit he, of both. He brought us in at six o'clock in the morning when it was fucking pitch black and got us bloody tackling tackle bags <laughs> and, and sausages in the dark. The only person who <laughs> was interested in being there was Pillow Van der Vest. Do Do you remember how well I did in that training? <laughs> I don't remember actually, no. You don't remember because I wasn't there. <laughs> because after the game, mate, after the game, listen, I had planned to go back to Paris for for a couple of, my parents live in Paris. And I had plans to go, win or lose, mate, I'm gone. I took the car and I'm there and stuff. I get a text, boys training, six o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning, whatever. I call Franck 549 or whatever. Mate, I'm, I'm not going to be there. You literally text me to be like, be in one hour at training. I am not in, in Clermont. I'm four hours away. There's no chance. And he answers with the darkest voice. But I mean the darkest voice. You could tell he hadn't been sleeping. Funk is the type of guy who would get, I think he gets to, at the club at about 5.15 every day. He's one of those guys that will basically outwork you. You know, he's, that's his mentality. I'll, I'll do so much that I'll, I'll prove that I can outwork you. And he's like, fine. See you Tuesday or see you Monday. Hung up. I was like, oh, bloody hell. And then I heard about that crazy training on the, on the Sunday or the Monday. I can't remember what it was. But still, the day after was still pretty mongrel. It was still the, the, the what was it? It was like wrestling in the middle, ripping balls. Uh, John Gibbs came up with this. You know, I love it when a coach just comes up with a drill saying, how can I make them fight each other? How can I make them literally hate each other? And then Nick mentioned <laughs> Pillow van der Merve, who was uh, actually, he was a medical joker uh, during the World Cup because I was in the World Cup with France, big me. And, and he, he, I came back from, from the World Cup and I start the first game that I come back and we had a few beers after that game and he's in the toilet with me and he's looking he's like, yeah, I'm happy you got to start, mate. I told the coaches, it's good. We need to share the jersey. And I'm looking at him. I've been playing six years here. You've got about nine games under your belt during the World Cup as a medical joker. Well, you and me are going to get along. <laughs> it's going to be like, like, Nick, like Nick and Red Wine, basically. It's gonna the, be- that, training, that training session, right, in the pitch black. I mean, you know when it's, it's so dark, you can't see someone until they're like, you know, almost in your face to know who they are. So you're holding a tackle bag and you actually don't know who's going to tackle you until you're freaking three meters back on your back. And he was the only one taking a 20 meter run up and charging. And you can hear this noise coming from 20 meters away. You don't know what's about to hit you. And then the next thing you know, boof! I can come and smack you from 20 meters away. I mean, that was, I mean, thankfully though, that was one of the, the only time as well, I was like, oh, okay, these are the sort of stories you hear about, uh, about uh, French, uh, French living, French rugby. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't get to experience too many of them. The other funny one, actually, as well, I've got to say, was Scott Spedding. <laughs> Go on. We played, uh, we played against the Ospreys in, um, in the, uh, I think it was the second game of the, of the Heining Cup or something. And me and him have been sort of swapping shirts. And he scored, he scored two tries, I think, and played really, really well. Um, 
anyway, next week um, I get chosen at fullback um, for the for play the, Saracens, right? The home game against Saracens, I think it was in the in outside Scott, and I was like, Scott, that is bullshit, mate. You're like, you had your best game you've had this whole season. You've got to go to Frank and say something. Like, this is this is ridiculous. Like, you know, me and Scott get, get on really well. We still keep in touch, and, and you know, first I probably had a great relationship with a. Uh, someone who's in my same uh, same position, but um, so me and Stretz were there. We're like, and Scott was like, no, no, not doing it, not doing it. No, this is this is this is bullshit. I'm not doing it. Okay, I'm not going. I'm not going. And we're like, we're like, Scott, you got to go. This is ridiculous. Stretz came and joined the conversation. He was like, mate, you got to because <laughs> his hands are all fucked up. <laughs> His fingers, because his fingers are gone. And he always complains that they didn't, they didn't let him get his fingers operated on. He will go on. We need to get him on this podcast. He will talk for hours. And Frank did not allow me to get my fingers done. And look at the state of my fingers, look. Anyway, Stretz comes in and he's like, Scott, you've got to go to Frank and you've got to say something because it can't continue. Like, you've played, you've played seriously well. And he was a man of the match, haven't he? I was happy enough to say, look, you start the next game. He was like, Built up his courage. He was like, okay, I'm going to go. He goes up into Frank's room. He's back in no longer than five minutes. He's back. Me and Stretch were like, hey, how did it go? He was like, I've just been fired. <laughs> he said, Frank, he was off contract. And Frank told him there and then. He was like, yeah, we don't want you for next year. He was like, thanks, guys. <laughs> oh man uh, just, just <laughs> when we had Scott spending on he, he spoke so highly of you Nick and you <laughs> got him the sack <laughs> and stress thanks ever so much for joining us Nick and uh, sharing all those stories the good and the bad and everything in between and um, massive good luck for the, the coming season in Predator and whatever you go on to do moving back to England after that yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot for having me on there. It was great. Yeah, Cheers, you're mate. legend, Nick. Kiss to the family. Take care, my man. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, Nick. See you, guys. I, I think he's a genuine legend of a bloke. He's, he's, he's kind. He's good-hearted. He's genuine. Um, he's, he, he's just a fantastic bloke to have in a squad, in a team, in the change room. Um, that, that season, he... he Obviously, you tried Johnny to big him up and stuff, and he underplayed it massively. But that season, 2014, 2015, he was an absolute fire. Like he, every game, and he played, I think he played about 36 games that season. Every game that he played, he was outstanding. He was the best guy on the pitch. He was the smallest guy on the pitch, but he was just outstanding. That final against Toulon, we were hanging on by a thread in 2015 in Twickenham, the Champions Cup final. Because we just got out muscled and stuff, and he 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 is the only one that shined, played well, chipped the ball over when everybody was absolutely drenched, picked the ball up and scored and stuff. He's he he's genuinely um, w- one of the very fortunate encounters I had in my career. When you when you meet a bloke whose talent uh, is basically, and when whose incredible talent is half of the bloke that he is. Absolutely great to have Nick on. Um, and just before we go, Champions Cup is starting. 
this weekend. So what do you make of the new format very briefly? And then how do you think the French clubs will fare? Because Toulouse are away at Ulster, but they've got a tough draw because of where they finished when the season was cut short last time around. Um, I'm not a huge fan of new format, but I'm delighted that they tried to find something different. Because they needed, to, they needed to, okay? So at least they tried to come up with a new solution. So fair play to EPCR. They're like, listen, it's already going to be a, a crazy calendar. They were the only ones who tried to get uh, one less uh, game day, if you know what I mean, one less date, one less feature to, 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 to fit in a crazy calendar. Whereas, like we said last week or two weeks ago, the November test in France were meant to be three games and they turned them into six. You know, so at least they played their part, and I thought that was great. The the reason that I'm not so happy with it is I think the Challenge Cup, which I'm commentating for French rugby, is completely gone because you basically took the four teams already of the second division of European rugby. Doesn't make much sense, okay? Uh, and 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 that subject is not sustainable. What I love what they've done is quarterfinal there and home. I think that's amazing. That is that are that is going to be two extraordinary games. But what's the difference between that and back-to-back, like, like Nick said, when we went to win in Munster, we had to play them back-to-back. It's those back-to-back games in December. Whenever we played Leinster, we, there was always back-to-back. Munster, back-to-back. Whenever those big games, they fit there. So what's the difference? It's pretty much the same thing, right? Except the number two of the pool could potentially still get qualified depending on, on points and stuff. So I'm excited they, got a new, they, they try to do something new. I'm a bit frustrated by the fact that it's penalizing Challenge Cup um, and that we'll see less oppositions and stuff, but I'm delighted about the quarterfinals. Then, that being said, I absolutely adore European rugby. I think it's just just under, basically, international rugby. And that's where you see guys finally stepping into the big dog shoes, you know, and stepping up into the what the big thing is. Those oppositions that we love, those fans mixing, having, you know, Munster fans having beers with the Clermont fans. Those, those extraordinary moments that we cherish and love. And I think that are absolutely essential to rugby. That's why we love Six Nations so much. We love Six Nations so much maybe 30% of what happens on the field, 70% of what happens off the field of visiting Scotland, of uh, welcoming Ireland, of going to beat the crazy English that we love to hate, you know, and vice versa. It's That's that. So, and so Club Rugby is the same. And uh, so I'm excited to see what it can bring, uh, but I'm just a little bit frustrated about what it's going to do to Challenge Cup. I pretty much 100% agree. It has always been my favourite competition. So... The fact that it's back and you've got cross-border European rugby, I'm absolutely delighted. The format isn't ideal, but the fact that we've got something, I'm delighted. And for you, Benji, the away days, the back-to-backs, the things we're used to, the tradition, I absolutely love the competition. I think it's the best club competition in the world, personally. My, it's my favourite. Um, it's not the ideal scenario, but just to have it back is great. And like you said, I'm looking forward to Cameron Walkie, Moefana going back to Bordeaux. Um, seeing if they can beat Northampton and Northampton who are really struggling. Um, and yeah, seeing if these young kids can step up because we've pretty much had a year of bit part rugby. And this is now, again, high level European platform. Let's see what these kids can do. And I think for the French aspect, without getting too much into the different nations, I'm excited to see what this next batch of generation of Gif kids that we've kind of squeezed through this year, what they can do on that next European stage. So excited that it's back. Not ideal, uh, the format, but I don't care. I'm, I'm looking forward to it coming back, looking forward to watching, looking forward to commentating on a couple of games. 
um because they should be crackers it's important important to notice that um it got announced tonight there will be no fans in this in the stands in france until the 7th of january so <clears throat> they they're going coming out of lockdown on the 15th of december a bit, bit like england um and going back into a semi not really the tier system but a sort of semi lockdown with a curfew at night and all that and decided to cut the possibility of having even in the good regions of having fans at all so there will be no fans and that will be reassessed on the 7th of january whereas if i don't get it wrong in england tier one can have four thousand tier two can have two thousand and tier three can have zero so basically northampton can have 2000 and all those teams and stuff so that will still be a little bit of a difference typically la rochelle who are mainly dependent on their fans uh northampton depending on that not dependent but which it's it's a big plus and that will play its part teed it up nicely and we will chat about all those champions cup games next week so thank you benji uh thanks to all of you for listening as well Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review. We got a few last week, so a few more nice reviews would be good. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers. Cheers.